I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. And I'm Anne Herrera, Bloomberg Senior Crypto Editor, in today for Stacey Marie Ishmael. It's Friday, October 14th. It's been another busy week for digital assets. And now that we're well into October, we have a better idea of whether the month will deliver a boost to crypto value as it has in years past. We'll review some regulatory action that took place this week and consider what smoke signals it may be sending to investors and to companies. Plus, a look at how China's crypto ban has played out. Spoiler alert, it's not unfolding like many expected it would. Here to help me break down the news is Bloomberg Senior Crypto Editor Philip Lagerkrantzer. If this was to happen at a bank, I mean, that, that would be catastrophic. And Bloomberg crypto blogger Emily Nicole. Will Bitcoin become the volatile asset that we that we know and love again? Wrote about DeFi's current problems in this week's crypto newsletter. Hello and welcome, Emily and Philip. I think for sure the most viral crypto story this week was a Bloomberg scoop, which is great. Um, and it was news that the SEC is investigating Yuga Labs, which are the creators of Bored Apes. Emily, give us the lowdown and then we'll have a chat about what this means. So this story was, as you said, a great scoop that came from one of our colleagues in New York, Matt Robinson. And it said in the story that the SEC is investigating whether or not uh, the products offered by Yuga Labs, which are the Bored Ape NFTs, probably the, the biggest, highest selling collection of NFTs so far to date, um, and ApeCoin, which is the more newly minted um project from Yuga Labs, which is like basically a crypto token attached to the to the group behind them, could be considered as unregistered securities. And so therefore Yuga Labs would be uh, infringing rules around offering those those products without proper registration. Um, although we should say that there isn't enough like, you know, a formal uh, suing going on here. It's still just, you know, early stages probe. So and this wasn't the only enforcement news out of the US and, and you know, there was also something from the DOJ, right, Phil? Can you maybe give us an overview of sort of what the story was there with Bittrex? Yeah, this uh, crypto exchange, um, Bittrex, that got fined a total of $53 million. Um, and this is just like, a, you know, a story that keeps playing up over and over again. But it's failures in KYC, basically, and failures to, in this pre- in this case, to prevent customers in you know, places from Iran to Cuba, heavily sanctioned countries from using it. Um, this caught up with them late in the game. This happened between 2014 and tw- the end of 2017. And um, they meted out the penalty now, and especially now in the days of expanding sanctions on Russia, for instance, and crypto becoming more of a more of a tool for evading sanctions in countries from Iran to Russia. 
um, there's going to be a lot more pressure on on crypto exchanges, I believe, to uh, to make sure that they know exactly, you know, who their customers are, where their customers are, that everything is buttoned down. So, Emily, it's not just been about enforcement. It's also potentially about rulemaking and international rulemaking at that. What did the Financial Stability Board tell us this week or what did they sort of announce? So this week, the Financial Stability Board, which is one of the the biggest uh, industry standard setters, I think, in finance, said that it was going to be telling G20 ministers and central bank governors a series of recommendations about how they should think about regulating crypto. And they'd already made some suggestions, very high level recommendations a few years back. Um, but crypto, as we know, changes all the time and frequently <laughs> requires even more updating. You know, you think you've got something sorted and then it's, it's all gone out the window. They also had a, a report out about stable coins, which they had already issued uh, rules for back in 2020. But given everything that happened, especially this year with the collapse of Terra, USD and Luna, uh, the FSB felt the need to update those to say there are no stable coins at present that would meet its standards for um, what it thinks stable coins should operate like, you know, the kind of risk structures, governance structures, reserves in place. Um, and that to clarify as well, that stable coins that use algorithms to maintain their peg to a fiat currency, which is what Terra USD did, uh, they don't count. So mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's what they said this week. And, and you've written before about how there is a big shakeup coming for stable coins, right, from in, in many jurisdictions. How do you expect that market to change? I know you don't have a crystal ball and it's not, but what are your sources telling you? What what do you think it will look like? Or how is it changing already? You wrote about it this week too with like intervention from a big exchange. Stable coins in particular uh, are likely the first destination that regulators will head to when they think about how rules can shape the way that crypto looks in future. Um, And that is because stable coins look the most like what we have in traditional finance. They look like banking, they look like payments, they look like fiat currency. They're the typical thing that you would think could fit into existing rules. What the FSB said, though, is that because a lot of regulators have done that this year, you know, the UK put out some suggestions to stablecoin rules. The US was previously working on some, whether or not those come off is another matter, but they had they had made some noises about stablecoin regulation. We've also seen it in countries like, you know, Singapore and, and New Zealand and Australia. These are all great efforts, but actually because they're doing that and nobody's really talking to one another, we're getting to a position where actually they're not creating sufficient cohesion between different rules for stablecoins. And ultimately, global cooperation is the number one thing for crypto regulation. It needs to be the same everywhere because if it's not, crypto firms will go to whichever country is, is the most appealing, operate from there. You won't be able to go across borders. Nobody's going to talk to each other. And, and we, we're in the same position we are in now, right, even with rules. All right. So one country that has actually cracked down on crypto early on was China, right? They basically banned it last year. But what really happened, Phil? You you worked and edited a story that sort of shed light on what's going on. Can you give us a bit of color into what's going on in China? Yeah, it's it's a fascinating story. It's and, and one that seems to be still unfolding. So in late September last year, um, several regulators, including the central bank, came out and basically said all cryptocurrencies are illegal. All crypto transactions are illegal. We are going to root out, you know, what remains of the crypto mining industry, which, you know, worth pointing out, um, at one point accounted for about 75%, some say even 80% 
of the world's total hash rate for Bitcoin mining. So um, this was a very substantial market that it looked like at the time when this happened that this is done, that's it, it's over. But we looked at it a year later, followed up with reporting, and it turns out that the picture is, is a little bit more, a lot more, I should say, nuanced than that. And so basically there is a crypto sector in, in China still. And it's following, you could say, several different paths at, at the moment. Um, you have the path that the CCP has clearly endorsed, which is so-called state permission blockchains, um, where the government has full uh, overview and insight into what happens on the blockchain. You have things like NFTs that are allowed. Um, certain elements of the NFT markets are not, um, such as selling them for cryptocurrency, for instance. Um, and then you have a return of kind of undercover or rogue Bitcoin miners who never really went away, but have learned to cover their tracks um, by uh, using proxy servers and things like that. And then you also have this cohort of crypto entrepreneurs, I calling well, Web3 entrepreneurs, I guess you could call them, that are sort of uh, expanding their businesses and, and trying to figure out wh where the limits go. And that is an evolving picture. They're not quite sure which side the government's finally going to come down on. So there is an industry there. It is alive and kicking. All right. So it's another day and another crypto hack. This week it was uh, DeFi, a platform called Mango that got exploited. Um, and it was quite a clever hack, although I'm not sure if we're allowed to call hackers clever. I guess they are clever. So Emily, can you sort of run us uh, through what happened? This one's very technical. So f forgive me if I don't <laughs> quite you know, spell out all of the gist of it. Um, but actually, this one was a little bit different to ones we've seen before. You know, it's not like your typical hack. In this case, it was, you know, your classic crypto pump and dump. But it also exploited some some very key parts around how oracles, which are like services that focus on prices, how, how they report those prices to, to different exchanges. So in this instance, the person involved, if it is indeed one person, uh, went after a platform called Mango, which had a token that didn't really have you know, much going for it prior to, prior to this happening. It wasn't you know, one of the biggest ones. It didn't have a whole lot of activity. And through various different accounts on different exchanges, they basically sought to pump the price of that token up cash in on some on some positions they'd made somewhere else by the fact that price had gone up and then take it all out and and, and make off with a, with a whole lot of money. So, Phil, what do you think this sort of shows us? I think we're now at uh, 900 million, almost 900 million stolen in DeFi hacks in the past month alone, according to Elliptic, which is which is a lot. What's your, your well, take? What I would love to know is how many more mangoes are there out there? Um, you know, there are Lots and there's lots. A whole grove, Phil. Of, a whole grove. <laughs> there's a there's a there's a whole growth of of mangoes out there. Um, yeah, we what we don't know is because you have this this whole universe of decentralized exchanges, different blockchains, different ways of doing things, no centrally agreed set of standards. So the question is, you know, how how widespread is this problem? Because nobody's going to come out and say, "Hey, you know, we, 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 you know, we're the next one waiting to have an issue." Um, we're going to find that out as as these projects announce that they've been either hacked or exploited or taken in some kind of ways for a ride. 
We'll be right back with more of the week's top crypto stories with Emily and Philip. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world. And so I guess just talking about DeFi, right? Yields are low now. Like, they're not that sexy anymore. You're risk losing all your money. Like, what's the point? People might ask, skeptics. Emily, do you have, do you have any Skeptic, thoughts? Skeptics meaning me in the newsletter this week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Trading in DeFi is already complicated, complex, difficult to achieve. Um, it's not as straightforward as, you know, if you just went to regular old dollars. And we're now even seeing crypto firms that are supposed to be you know, the epitome of decentralization are turning to traditional financial markets to make a buck because you just can't do it in DeFi anymore. So uh, last week we saw a group called MakerDAO, which is the group that it runs the fourth largest stablecoin, DAI, um, say that they're going to start buying around 500 million in US treasuries and corporate bonds, uh, which is a way for them to basically earn some revenue because, uh, well, our real lives are, are up in smoke at the minute. FX is a lot more interesting than crypto. Um, and How dare you? Huh? How dare you say that if anything is more interesting than crypto? Oh, yeah. Well, crypto is interesting, but it's not going to earn you any money right now. Um, like even if we look at volatility indexes, right, we've got the Bitcoin volatility index, I think I checked on on Monday, was about 11% down this year. And if you look at the, the volatility index run by JP Morgan for FX, it's up 70%. That's that's the kind of like changes that we're looking at at the minute. And so if you're a trader who's wanting to make diff different prices on different exchanges, which is what a lot of people in crypto do, you're not, you're not going to be doing it on crypto coins because there's no volatility there. There's nothing, there's nothing happening. But you will be doing it on the dollar, the pound, the yen. Um, 
all of these traditional markets that previously crypto people would have sniffed at and said, oh, stodgy, stuffy, old, not not interesting anymore. Um, Bitcoin's the way forward. But it is, I guess, a question of whether or not the coin will flip back the other way around. Will Bitcoin become the volatile asset that we that we know and love again? So I know one of the things Stacey has spoken about on the podcast is sort of the general stance in crypto towards, you know, hacks. There seems to be very much a, oh, we got hacked. Oh, you lost your money. Oh, okay. So, sorry. We're not even sorry at times. So, you know, Phil, how, how is that? Is that changing at all? And, and how is that difference to, again, traditional market finance? Like, does do banks normally get hacked and like, or even like, are they down for more than, than a minute and like they don't have any everyone up in arms, in, including regulators? And do you see sort of the crypto evolving more towards that environment as regulators come in just to bring everything together, hacks, regulators, everything we, we spoke about? I think it has to. I mean, it's, it's an existential question. And the, the question is, you know, who will be proven right? Will the crypto industry if, sort of live up to the... I guess, libertarian ideal of, you know, yes, there are going to be problems, but the industry will fix themselves through technology, through creative destruction, through the fact that um, the outfits that can't make these changes and transitions are going to be competed out of existence. Or will it be done through the force of regulations or both? I, I, I don't have the answer to that, but it is a, I do think that at this point is starting to look like uh, an existential question because over time there is no scenario in which you can say to your users, sorry, we got hacked, your money's gone. Let's see if we can just talk to the hackers and, and, and see if they're nice and they'll give us some back. That just doesn't, that, that will not work as a business proposition over time. And I think that's obvious to everyone. So the question is, how does it get taken care of? Does it, does it get taken care of by regulators just moving in and taking and everything? Because as you pointed out, Anna, if this was to happen at a bank, I mean, that, that would be catastrophic. So I think the big sort of, sort of $50,000 question would be, how does this adjust itself? Um, is it done by market forces? Um, or is it done by regulators moving in swiftly or a combination thereof? And I guess that's what we're about to find out in the next 12 months or so. To build on that as well, I think one thing that we were asking back in like March or April when all these hacks really started to hit the big time and we were seeing like $600 billion hacks happen was um, VCs were often the ones that were cashing the crypto projects out of the black hole that they found themselves in. We had investors like Jump Crypto step in to help projects like Wormhole when they were when they were hacked, and we had investors like uh, step in to help Sky Mavis when Axie Infinity was hacked, and they were willing to put up either the money that was missing or they were willing to put up millions of dollars in bug bounties to fund more people looking for bugs that they could then fix before a hacker found it. Um, and so it seemed like back then anyway that a lot of VCs were having to think about contingency planning. So if you're going to invest in a crypto company, should you be putting aside a portion of the funding on your term sheet to say, oh, and this bit's for if you get hacked, by the way, keep this safe. Um, and that sounds really dystopian, but I think it is a reality right now. It's a lot of what crypto is. It's a lot of what crypto is about. Sometimes, you know, finding these niche ways to exploit some alpha and get an extra buck over your fellow man. And so it seems like hacks are ramping up. It seems like 
hacks are now commonplace, but will they ever go away? Probably not. There's always going to be a flaw in a code somewhere. It's just a matter of who finds it. All right. And on this very optimistic uh, final note, thank you, Emily. And thank you, Phil, for the wonderful conversation today. Thanks. Thank you. You can find more of Philip Lagerkranzer and Emily Nicole's reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal, on Bloomberg.com and on Twitter, at Lagerkranzer, at L-A-G-E-R-K-R-A-N-S-E-R, and at Emily J. Nicole, at E-M-I-L-Y-J-N-I-C-O-L-L-E. On the next episode of Bloomberg Crypto, if you worked at a gaming studio in or around, say, October 2021, you might have been part of discussions about blockchain gaming or NFTs in gaming or some combination of those things. It even looked for a while like major game developers were going to try to make in-game non-fungible tokens a whole thing. So what's happening with that a year later? Well, there's been a vibe shift. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. Or find us on Twitter, we're at Crypto. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producer is Mohammed Farouk. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael. Have a great weekend. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world.